Welcome to Illumination by Modern Campus, the leading podcast focused on transformation and change in the higher education space. On today's episode, we speak with Kristen Malik, who is a behavior change designer at the University of Nebraska-Lincoln. Kristen and podcast guest host Shauna Cox discuss designing a university from scratch to better meet the needs of today's market and how to be future ready. Well, Kristen, it's great meeting you here. Welcome to the Illumination podcast. It's great to be here. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. And so we're talking today about, you know, designing a university from scratch, which clearly is not going to be an easy task. And we're going to get you to tell us all about it. So how does the design of a learning infrastructure change in this kind of environment? Absolutely. I am definitely going to answer this question, but I do want to start for your listeners with a very brief overview of my background for context, because I think that's really important in this situation. So my background is in event management and design. My specific niche expertise area is in behavior change design. So what does that mean? It's not wedding planning. I get that all the time. It (laughs) simply means that I design events and experiences that are specific. They change behavior and mindset. So it's a very specific area background in event design, obviously, but also in psychology, neuroscience, neurolinguistics, et cetera. When I had my daughter and decided to step back from being event designer full-time and I entered into the academy, I was actually amazed at how similar events and higher education actually were. Mm -hmm. Events, by definition, are bringing together two or more people for a common purpose. And at its core, if you think about it, this is actually the exact same for every single class because we're bringing together two or more learners to learn that day's subject material. So with this in mind, if designed properly... Designing properly being the keyword, each class should actually be a mini event. It should be designed around that day's material. So having experience in event strategy and also um, a portion of my job at my university right now is in educational strategy. It's amazing to me how similar these two are as well. So when online events came out 20 years ago, and even during COVID, when the acceptance by the public of online events dramatically increased, Every single person was worried that every event would move online and face-to-face events would go away entirely, which simply wasn't true. In fact, we arguably have more event offerings, but the strategy of what to offer online and what to offer in person has changed. Mm -hmm. So these organizations have diversified their event strategies and portfolios. So as you're listening to this, you're like, okay, Kristen, I know exactly (laughs) where you're going, but it's incredible to me the parallels in this. We have to acknowledge that everything that can be digitized can be personalized. Let me say that again. Anything that can be digitized can be personalized. This is so important. If we actually have to sit down and strategically say what part of our educational offerings can easily go online, what needs some adaptation to go online, and what have to be in-person experiences, and then we sit down and we have that next step of how can we customize and personalize this our specific learners. This really is the future of this learning interaction in in post-secondary institutions. We have to think about our entire portfolio of offerings and have a a specific strategy for what that looks like, because most of these things can be customized. And if we think about taking these learnings and, and bringing it down to its core competencies, why can't a module of learning be a CEU? or three competency-based badges, or provide completion towards a certificate, or be counted as a one-credit class. 
I mean, if we think about it, why can't they be stacked in these different ways? So similar to existing uh, MOOCs like the massive open online courses, uh, Coursera or similar, why can't we customize this level of involvement and assessment techniques super simply online using the, these digital tools? And this learning is the same. It's we can customize it to what these particular learners want. So if you want a CEU, awesome. It's a certificate of completion. You watch the video, cool, no assessment. You want a class, awesome. You get an assessment and it's automatically graded. It's so easy to do. And this is really what the future looks like. It's not all online. It's not all in person. It, though, you know, I know we're going to talk about what the the future design of higher ed, and maybe that that is right for your specific institution. But learning in and of itself, depending on the actual competency you're trying to learn, it, it will be some form of hybrid for sure. Mm, absolutely. And I think my now favorite quote that has been imprinted on my brain is anything that's digitized can be customized or personalized. Um, that is certainly where we're at right now in higher education. What exactly is the design of a future-oriented post-secondary institution? Give us the crystal ball answer that you may have. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, it's it's so fun because if you think about it, it's so easy to kind of build things from scratch than to take what we have existing and then transform it. I'm working on uh, education strategy with a, a couple of deans right now. And I was talking to one dean and I said, why can't we just say we're closing our college and we're going to start a new college and we're going <laughs> to name everything differently and have people like reapply for their and restructure everything? Because sometimes it's mm -hmm. actually easier than yeah. just sitting there saying like, okay, we have to piecemeal these things and put it through our two year long processes. But specific to this question, what is the design? I love this this question as a, as a futurist, as an innovator coming from uh, events and strategy. I have to say, I've read so many books, maybe every single book that's been out there <laughs> discussing the future of higher ed. I've read the speculative design books that detail the many potential futures of higher ed and your 10 possible alternative uh, future institutions. I've read thousands of articles from all the different uh, platforms. And the truth is, and everybody hates to hear this, but there's no one singular answer. Just like in branding, it completely depends on what you want your unique value proposition and your brand to be. Then you have to analyze who your primary and your secondary target markets are and what they want. And then you have to customize your offerings to be in alignment with these. So it has to be a true win-win. I will tell you that some post-secondary institutions will thrive completely being 100% online. Many will succeed in some percentage of a hybrid environment. Uh, and yes, some will succeed being place-based experts in their specific niche areas. That is, that's just a fact. Like there's no one size fits all. Some target markets uh, and nationalities only care about the degree and others could care less about the degree. Some target markets want short courses and some want year long part-time experiences. In branding, they say the riches are in the, the niches there, but outside of actual currency, this is also so true in other success metrics. I to truly think that post-secondary institutions, uh, in this case, maybe namely universities, they've tried to be everything to everyone for too long. 
And it's just not working. You just can't do that. Universities are brand. And we all know in brand marketing that you can't be all things to all people. You have to choose your primary and your secondary target markets. You have to choose what you want to be an expert and a specialist in. Uh, and of course, you can offer additional courses based on community demand. Uh, and you can diversify your income streams doing this, which is incredible. But it does not have to be a full-fledged major or offering. Mm-hmm. So before we move on, I want to tell one <laughs> mini short story from the event yeah, no worries. as well, because I, I just think it, it relates so much when if you've gone to an event that's not a social event in the past decade, you've probably noticed a really interesting trend uh, that about a decade or so ago, events started acknowledging that their participants at their events were like 360 degree full human beings. We are humans. We are not just our careers. So if you're going to ask us to come to your event for three, four, five days, you have to acknowledge that we are more than just our position. We have lives and we have routines. So events started incorporating sessions on personal personal development, mental health. They started having yoga, meditation sections. They started having like a lot of uh, introspection things because in order for you to be a better leader, you had to know yourself better. Uh, and there were, there were tons of additional sessions outside of career focused topics. So, and, and it wasn't driven by a particular generation. If you're in marketing at all, you know, it's all about psychographics, not necessarily demographics or generations. So you won't hear me say that, but they have been driven and enjoyed by, by all humans at this point. So I do believe the future design of higher ed, I think sometimes we get so caught up in like, what's the modality? We're going to have like this vice chancellor of online learning and we're going to do things where we, that's the focus is the modality. But I truly think the content uh, is really where the design of the future of post-secondary institutions is going to be. In higher ed, similar to events, we have to start caring about our learners as whole human beings and not just who they want to be career-wise or who they are when they're in our classrooms. So if we want them to be loyal to our brand, if we want them to be successful in life, we really should be spending the first part of their journey with us, helping them figure out what their purpose is, Mm -hmm. uh, their mental health, because they all come from different backgrounds and environments. Uh, We can even expose them to, you know, not putting them through, but exposing them to different types of um, therapies or ways to overcome environmental issues or trauma. And all of these topics that could be included in like an adulting 101 course, kind of in your first you're onboarding your first uh, term, semester, whatever unit of measure that we're going with in this future of post-secondary institution, then that that really should be the focus is about them. Like they mm-hmm. should have a life coach. They should figure that stuff out. There's no better way to start building trust and loyalty than having them know that we care about them as like full human beings and not just like, what's your major and give me your tuition dollars. So you know, there's there's no one right answer, but the thing we know for certain is that those institutions that will not survive will be those who try to be all things to all people and those who are just not in touch with what their learners need in their specific markets and don't provide true value to their markets. So that's a long-winded answer, but there was a lot to cover there. So. There's, there's a lot of good meat in that answer. And I think, you know, when we all reflect back to our college or university experience, we all wish we had adulting 101 sometimes to this day I still wish there was adulting 101 but we're you know we're just trying to figure it out but I would love to go step away from the blueprint of a what a design you know the design of a university looks like and kind of dive into a little bit more when you mentioned the learners so what does that relationship between a learner and an institution like specifically in this you know new university that we're creating 
Absolutely. I think this is such an interesting question because it kind of is flips it on its head from where we were maybe 50 or 60 years ago in the industrial revolution. And we are experts and we're sages on the stages and all of those things. I truly, and you, if you look me up, if you look me up on LinkedIn, you read all my recommendations, almost all my recommendations are actually from students and unasked for, which is just absolutely incredible. And they'll all say similar things in terms of um, mindset and, and coaching and that not just a teacher, but a mentor and a coach. And I do believe that that's what the future, the relationship between the learner and the institution would look like institutions will really be responsible for providing kind of guides and facilitators to these individuals to help them kind of learn themselves and learn how to learn, right? And so the teachers, uh, the instructors, professors, whatever you want to call them, um, they won't necessarily be standing up front delivering passive content. Hopefully nobody's doing that now to this point. I know it's still out there, but we all know that that's not the most effective way to learn. We really have to to be mentors and coaches. And mm. the the number one thing that I think the the learners of today, if you ask that, I've I've actually in my role, uh, I have three different roles in my university, but one of my roles is in education strategy. And I went around and I interviewed all of the faculty within this one call, all of them for like two hours. <laughs> and and then I interviewed a ton of students. And then I went into high schools and I interviewed a ton of students. And I'm like, what what are you expecting? What's your satisfaction? It was like a 12 page open-ended kind of questionnaire and just so much information there. But the learners want to know that they're cared about. They, they want to know that you care about them and you care about them as a whole human being. So I tell my, my students and, and my, I still teach one class a year. And I tell my students in my class, like, look, this is not the, the end all be all priority. You have expectations. There are there's requirements in this course to pass, obviously. But if you're dealing with something, if your parents died, if you're mm -hmm. going through a mental health crisis, like you have to prioritize and, and you, your main job right now is to communicate. So communicate with me, let me know what's going on. And I will tell you that has served so, so many dividends, like in so many ways. And, and they're so loyal, not just to, to me as a, as a professor, but also to the institution and just knowing that they cared about them. Uh, and I do think that that's going to be the relationship between the learner and the institution. And if we think about the institution as a business, this is a really long run on sentence. If we think about the institution as a business, if we think about it as an organization. Mm -hmm. So my background uh, is, is within the hospitality industry, some of my experience. And if we think about it, the, the instructors or professors, they're like your frontline people, mm -hmm. right? And so when you think about that, if the institution cares about their frontline people, the frontline people are going to take care of the customers. And I think so often the institution uh, cares about cares about the students mm -hmm. and they, they don't necessarily say, hey, my total focus should be on these frontline managers, uh, these frontline employees kind of kind of deal. And they'll take care of our customers. Mm -hmm. So we were all told like we had to care about uh, the mental health of, of all of our students, but no one cared about our mental health, like as faculty. Right. So yeah. it's, it's just kind of, that's, it's an interesting relationship with a lot of metaphors in there, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but they're all great and they all make sense. That's all great. Um, so obviously the design of this new institution, 
sounds so good and so needed and everything else, but there's always a catch to everything. Mm-hmm. Of course there's a catch. <laughs> so uh, what, what are some of the, you know, we're going to call them traps to be aware of. What are some of those core challenges facing a more traditionally oriented post-secondary institution? Absolutely. This is such an excellent question. And everyone who's listening to your podcast right now has automatically thought of at least two or three. (laughs) And depending on the position within the institution, some of these may have come up and some of these may not have come up. The main traps that I see when I'm working with uh, high-level administrators in different universities, um, there's three main ones. The first one, which ironically is not the one anyone thinks of unless you're president or chancellor, but it's probably arguably the most important one is the board of directors. So <laughs> this is this is a this is a big trap because oftentimes the board of directors. Um, I don't want to say it's like a good old boy club because that's not necessarily true, but they aren't people, they're people who are there because of their particular position or political affiliation, or that they might not necessarily be people who are 100% innovators or even pro higher education. It just looked really good to be on the board of directors of a, of a higher education, post-secondary institution, or uh, they were they were told they needed to be part of it. And board of directors actually hold a lot of power, which we can see in several states right now, <laughs> of a board of directors kind of exercising their their metal metal hammers there. But I do think a major trap is board of directors. And in my particular area of behavior change design, that's actually where I've been asked to to be doing a, a lot of of kind of. <laughs> triage like can you come in and design an event that will help get my board of directors on the same page and and innovative and going forward and and i see the difficulties that's happening there so the board of directors i think is number one and not one you'd normally think of unless you're Mm -hmm. that president or chancellor the other two i think uh most people would agree on uh cutting budgets but not diversifying income streams there's only so much you can cut i'm working with a a program right now 98.4 percent of their budget is labor so unless you're cutting people there's there's nothing else to cut right they don't really have operational at that point so diversifying income streams becomes really uh important and it's not necessarily something that a lot of post-secondary institutions are really focused on right now outside Mm -hmm. of research grants. They're like, okay, we're going to have more research grants. We're going to have more research grants. We're going to have more overhead. And there's many other ways that you can diversify your income streams. So really think about that. And then the third one that I would say is uh, coming from a psychology and kind of neuroscience background. There's a, there's a book called Spiral Dynamics, and it kind of talks about the different levels of um, like how we evolved as human beings. <laughs> so like level one is survival. Level mm-hmm. two is like family and tribe. Level three is kind of like that good girl, bad girl kind of thing. And uh, level four is based on safety and stability. And so this is your traditional, I would say maybe employee mindset that at universities tend to attract a lot of level four type mindsets um, because they're not, they want safety and stability. If I work hard, I will get tenure. I will be here forever. And I don't have to worry about a job. If I get a job in university, it's stable. It's guaranteed. It's there. It's kind of like why everybody, every 
parent is pushing their students into engineering or business right now because uh, it's safe and it's stable. And when you think about that, you now have an institution of hundreds, if not thousands of people whose number one concern is safety and stability. And you're asking them to change, <laughs> to innovate yeah. and to move forward. And that's just like, that's so, so difficult. Um, and you have some level five, which is more that entrepreneurial mindset, of course, in some administration levels, but you're having to pull everybody along, which is also, also why I'm called a lot for my behavior change design and did, I did a TED talk on it, talking about higher education. And this is a, a main issue that we see. And that's a trap because if you don't have buy-in from everybody on the organization, uh, then then it's not going to work. It's you're booby trapping your growth if you think about it that way. So those would be the three main ones that I would say. say. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Well, Kristen, that's everything that we have for you, but we can't let you go until you give us some food insight because that's what we like here. So you're based in Lincoln, Nebraska. Yes. Now you can choose Lincoln, you can choose nearby, but if someone is going out to a restaurant, out to dinner, where do they have to go? That's such a great question. And coming from a background of hospitality, I think I would answer like 20 different things, but I do have two that are my go-tos and both of them, you're going to say really in Lincoln, Nebraska. Um, one of them, if you like things with spice and natural and Indian flair, I highly recommend the oven. I've eaten uh, Indian food and Southern Indian food all around the world. And of course, it's not like being in India, but the oven is excellent uh, Indian food. And then second, because, you know, I can't just give one. If you're if you're interested in sushi mm -hmm. uh, and and that you're like in Nebraska, like the most landlocked state in like the whole country. Um, I love Hero 88. It's it's local. We have a lot of actually really great sushi places, but mm -hmm. I love Hero because they have a lot of great uh, variety. So the oven and Hero are great options. Really? In Nebraska? <laughs> I know. It's so funny. Well, I lived in and worked as an executive director of events in Las Vegas and uh, the sushi there is incredible. And you're like, you're in the middle of the desert. What is yeah, going on? But they fly sushi in fresh twice a day. And exactly. so it's always fresh. It's crazy. <laughs> Amazing. Well, Kristen, it was great chatting with you. It was a, such a pleasure. Thanks for inviting me. This podcast is made possible by a partnership between Modern Campus and The Evolution. The Modern Campus Engagement Platform powers solutions for non-traditional student management, web content management, catalog and curriculum management, student engagement and development, conversational text messaging, career pathways, and campus maps and virtual tours. The result? Innovative institutions can create learner-to-earner life cycle that engages modern learners for life, while providing modern administrators with the tools needed to streamline workflows and drive high efficiency. To learn more and to find out how to modernize your campus, visit moderncampus.com. That's moderncampus.com.